Amen. To God be the glory. Rock of ages cleft from me. Let me hide myself in thee. Mm. Take your copies of God's Word tonight and turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts chapter number 14, if you would. Acts chapter number 14. Oh, how precious the Word of God is. I pray that we'll be able to say, as the psalmist said, My eyes have failed me as I have searched thy word. That your physical frame just wears out because of the weakness of the flesh of pursuing uh, the precious truths found in the, in the word of God. David said in that Psalm 119, My eyes have failed me in thy search of thy word. What a, what a message. Mm. I want to begin reading tonight in Acts chapter 14, and I, I want to start reading in verse number 19. And as we read in verse number 19, we're going to read up till uh, verse number 23. And we're just going to take some time tonight and just study this, this passage, and we're going to study some other passages in the Word and just uh, close with some application that I believe that would be beneficial and helpful for every one of us as we seek God's will for our lives, His joy over us, His course that we're to run. God wants you and I to know what He has sanctified us for. All of us have very similar ministries in testifying to the gospel of the grace of God and being holy before the Lord. That is resting in the grace of God, resting in the power of the gospel. You know, the scripture says that the message of the cross is the power of God unto those that are being saved. We need to preach the cross to us, amen? Those that are, that are saved, those that belong to Jesus, the gospel is still our strength that we cling to, hold to, believe, and continue to remind ourselves every day throughout the day that if I couldn't earn this righteousness, I'm not going to produce this righteousness, but I can sure rest in Jesus and let Him live and abide and work through me so that I can stay connected to Him and He will magnify and glorify Himself through our lives. Amen? Notice what this passage says. If you would stand in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word... Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 19, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, we see the impossible taking place. Amen. He rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And may God add a blessing to the hearing, reading, and the keeping of His precious Word. You may be seated. Father, we do pause again in this place tonight thanking You for Your truth. 
thanking you for the life of Christ, thanking you for the, for the simplicity of the message of the gospel that significantly changes our lives day in and day out. Help us tonight. Come to a place that we would have a desire and a hope so to live in such a way that our lives would be spent for your glory. Father, we ask for, for help. We ask for a revelation. We, we ask for an understanding. We just ask for your will to be done. May it be our meat tonight. May it be what drives us, what we cling to, what we, what we hold to as we rest in you and look to you, that you would allow us to see how we have missed the mark, but how you deeply and compassionately and tenderly and gently continue to woo us to yourself. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, King David said in 2 Samuel chapter 22 in verse number 36, he says, Thou hast given me the shield of thy salvation. And by thy gentleness, you have made me great. Aren't you thankful for a gentle God tonight? A gentle God that, that oh, he could have done been so frustrated. And, and, and he, he, he should have done taken us on home and got us out of the way, if you know what I mean. But his forbearance toward us, his long-suffering over us, his gentleness with us, his tender mercies with us. And I want to tell you, David, David suffered for the glory of God. You know, when David did some of the things that he did and, and he had the, the repercussions of what took place in his life, how his family was at odds with one another and how they fought among one another, killed one another, God told David as a result of his direct sin that the sword would not leave his home. You know, all that was part of the gentle hand of God upon him. God being gentle and compassionate to him. What is God doing in our lives today? That we can see how gentle and compassionate and tender he has been with us. Even when things are terrible, even when things are bad. Imagine having a son kill another son and rape a daughter and all these things take place and your kids die before you and rebel against you and try to overthrow you. But David kept looking unto the hills. Looking unto the hills from whence his salvation cometh. Amen. He understood that this transgression, this sin would ever be before him. He would ever, forever, forever have to deal with the consequences of his actions. But he was also a man who understood that God would never take his loving kindness off of him. What a gentle God we serve. Amen. The Apostle Paul and Barnabas is on the missionary journey and we see how God is doing this mighty work with them and how he's using them. And for you that have, have progressively grown and studied and been in the scriptures and you understand that as we look at the book of Acts, we see the power of the Holy Spirit working in God's people and they are carrying this living message of Jesus to the Gentile world and to the Jews that were spread out and they were blind to their sin but when they would proclaim the message of life 
that Jesus has abolished death and immortality and that he could bring life to them, people were getting saved and at the same time people were beginning to worship them. They would fall down and bow down and worship them, but there was always this element of the Jew who would come in and try to wreak havoc for the disciples of the Lord Jesus. And we find it here. These people at Lystra had just bowed and they were worshiping uh, Paul and, and those that were with him. And what happened in that, these Jews show up and when they turned the crowd, it says that they took stones like these right here. I don't know what size they were, but it only takes one stone about this size to go upside your head and put you out. But it says they gathered Paul and drug him out and they took stones like this here and they welded upon his body and they stoned him and they beat him and they left him there for dead. And for what we know of the truth, there is a great possibility that we believe even Paul testifies to this when he says, I'm not sure, but I don't know how it happened, but what happened, but, but I went on up, though he doesn't even say he went on up, but I went up to the third heavens and I heard things and saw things that ain't even lawful for men to speak of. And the disciples get over him and they pray over him and because they were connected, because they were connected, what did God do? He did the impossible. I believe he raised Paul from the dead on that day. And brought him up. Brought him up to life. And what do they do? They go right back to the same place. That he just was stoned and kicked out of town and left for dead. What did they do? They took and went and preached the gospel to the same people. Amen. I want to know what was in this man. I want to know what was about these people that would live in such a way. We find ourselves often intimidated to go to our neighbor. They, they, They hadn't thrown no punches at us. They haven't spit on us. They haven't beat us. They haven't picked up a stone after us. But we just find ourselves often intimidated to talk with the man on the job with us. Are you with me? I mean, we're afraid that we might lose our job or we might be afraid that we stand out in the community. We might be afraid that we might be the oddball in our family. So we often keep our mouths silenced and shut and, and we, we, we rest in the fact that we believe in God's sovereignty. And, and, and I do. Do to you. Do you believe God's the only one that can save? But oftentimes what we do, if we're not careful... We'll keep our mouths silent and this is what we do, God. I believe you're the God of salvation and only you can save and only you can draw and only you can set somebody apart. But God, I'm praying that you will send somebody else to this person and there's nothing wrong with praying that. But if I am praying that to nullify me being the one that could potentially share the gospel with them, that might be something wrong there. Amen? You know why? Because I think sometimes our devotion to the Lord has limitations with it. And I don't think what we find here in the book of Acts, I don't find in anybody's life that is living to be spent for the glory of God. Their devotion unto Jesus doesn't have limitations to it. Now what do I mean by that? Let's read a little bit further in here and study this for a moment. We'll... We'll we'll come back to this thought. Watch what he says in verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they had returned. They returned to Lystra where he was stoned in Iconium and Antioch. What What did they return for? 
They returned with an aim and a purpose to confirm the souls of the disciples. The word confirming means to reinforce. It means to establish the souls of the disciples, to reinforce. Have you ever built something that that was somewhat stable, but you knew that over time and because of the elements that it would be in and what it would be exposed to, that you reinforce what you had done so that it would be able to stand the test of the weather and the elements outside? This is the idea. Paul went back to the city he and those that were walking with him, and they gave themselves that at whatever it costs, it didn't matter what cost it would be, to reinforce some things. What would they want to reinforce? Well, it's obvious, he said, through much tribulation, we're going to enter in the kingdom of God. I believe he used great teachable moments. Here's a group of people that just watched this man get knocked over the head with a stone and left for dead. And here he comes right back. If you would think anybody who would flee and go somewhere else, it would have been him, huh? Don't you think that they knew who he was? Don't you think he still bared the marks and the scars that was on his face? Now, could have God healed him and completely healed those? I believe that he could have. But I think Paul tells us that he bore the marks of the gospel in his body. I think he still had... The, 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 the scabs and the oozing blood and the potential of, of pus on his face and on his head. And, and there's a good possibility. How many of you got a dent in your head anywhere? How many of you got a wop-sided head? Look, we got one back there testifying. I got a couple dents in my head too. Me and my brother was riding on a four-wheeler one day, a three-wheeler back in those days and at the hunting club, shooting high-powered rifles, and we was riding, and we riding down a road, had a had a rack on that on that three-wheeler. They didn't have four-wheelers at that time that I'm aware of. Riding down that road, and that old dirt road had a had a had a major pitch in it, and and I got wide open on it. He's sitting right here in front of me, and I couldn't get that thing out of it. And we hit an embankment on the side of that ditch, and that four-wheeler, that three-wheeler, excuse me, went to flipping. I threw him off to the side. I went straight over the top. The four-wheeler, I keep saying the four-wheeler, the three-wheeler fell and landed, that rack landed on my head. And if you want to feel it, I'll let you feel it. I still got a dent in my head. I got an indention. Now, if that, if that left an indention in me, and I imagine that they took these stones and they wailed upon Paul and sunk those stones inside of his head, do you think he left... He, 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 he bore some marks. You think maybe some hair was knocked off? It's a good possibility. It's only an assumption. So what is he doing when he's confirming the souls of these saints, reinforcing things to them? He's going back as a man who just got stoned, just was beaten, left for dead, going back to them and telling them that, look, Jesus is worth living for. He's worth dying for, Amen. And if you ain't going to live for him, you'll never die for him. He's worth it. I'm going to tell you that no matter what they do to my body, no matter what they do to me, it doesn't have any bearing on the difference of the power of the message of the gospel. Jesus still saves. Jesus will still save. The blood will avail and it will rescue souls. And you cannot quit preaching the gospel no matter what they do to you, no matter what they say to you, no matter how they try to stop you. It doesn't matter what comes your way. Keep 
preaching and teaching Jesus and he'll set people free. Amen? He, he reinforcing. You see, we need to be vessels of the mercy of God, trophies of his grace that constantly are reinforcing in the lives of God's people the truths of the word of God. That when they find themselves in despair and trouble, that you take the truths of the word of God and the testimony of the grace of God and you season it with salt. That means the testimony that God has established in you and you reinforcing them with teachable moments. These little boys and girls, they need to hear from mama and daddy and from those in the family of God of just how glorious and how great and how beautiful and how lovely Jesus really is. Amen? Amen. Ain't nobody else going to teach them. They need to know what it's like to go through trouble because you're going to go through trouble. It's inevitable. If we're going to walk in this life for the glory of Jesus, we are going to face tribulation. It is, it is part of that course God has designed for our life. Paul told Timothy and he told the church at Thessalonica that he wanted to check on them, which he had already told them, that they should not be shaken by the tribulation and the affliction that they were going to go through, how he already told them they were ordained to suffer for the cause of Christ. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 27 through 29, Paul told them to walk according to the gospel, their conduct, how they were to live, and don't be terrified in any way whatsoever over their adversaries. For their adversaries was, number one, proof of their perdition, their condemnation upon their life, but it was also proof from God that they belonged to Him and were saved of Him. And he says, folks, it has been granted unto you not only to believe on Jesus, but to also suffer for His namesake. Amen? You see, he's confirming, he is reinforcing He is using every dynamic in life to be a teachable moment. And as a disciple of the Lord Jesus, making disciples for Jesus, teaching the people of God for Jesus, is just using everything in life as teachable moments. Everything's a teachable moment. Amen? That's why the Scripture says we're to take every thought into captivity and bring it into obedience unto the Lordship of Jesus. So no matter what we're looking at, no matter what we're listening to, no matter what we're thinking, we need to bring that next to the Word of God. And no matter what we're exposed to in life, bring it to Jesus and bring those around us. Bring it to Jesus so that we could use it as a teachable moment and reinforce the truths of God's Word. That's how we live. That's our life. Amen. That's how it's supposed to be lived. I missed an opportunity. Jeremy and I was out the other day and picking up some supplies and they two guys, they were talking and, and, uh, and I thought of it and it was right on. It, actually, when I got back in the car and it was too late for me to bring it up again, and, um, but we were standing there loading up some wood for, for the job that he was doing and one of the guys said, I don't know if it's right or not, but that cologne somebody's wearing sure is smelling good. I don't know if it's right or not to tell a boy he's got, it smells good. And uh, and he was an older fella, and he was just cutting up and playing around. And, you know, the Bible talks about that we as the believer, we as the disciple of Jesus, we are the instrument for which God diffuses the fragrance or the aroma of Christ out of our lives. 
And if I'd have been a little bit more on my toes and a little bit more prepared and just not loosely walking, I, I could have brought that up. You know, and asked the question, are you talking about my cologne or are you smelling Jesus? You know, what are you talking about? And use that as a moment to bring in the gospel and whatever it takes, amen? Reinforcing, confirming the souls of the saints. What do they do? Not only that, confirming the souls of the saints and exhorting them to continue in the faith. The word exhort means to build up. It means to encourage. But how do you build up and encourage? Brother Pat, it, it, it has the ideas that you bring somebody near to you. You call them near alongside you to encourage them to walk with you. And what was Paul encouraging them or calling them near alongside so that they would continue in the faith? That he's reinforcing these principles, he's building them up, but he's calling them near. And we have to have the confidence that as I'm walking with Jesus that I can call people to come near me so that they can walk with me. And I can point them unto him and his ways and not just necessarily point them to go do something for him, but I can say, come, let, let, let's, walk, let's walk with him together. Let's walk down this path together. And let me show you what God's been doing in my life. Let me show you what he can do in your life. And let me show you the sanctification of the body, what he means. Let, let me talk to you about being crucified with Christ, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus who lives in me. Amen? It, it, it's bringing people near to you. It's, it's what discipleship's about. Now, what we have a problem with is that we notice people not doing what they ought to do, and we like to point the finger that they're not doing what they ought to be doing, and then we like to tell somebody else that we notice that they're not doing what they ought to be doing. And then we find ourselves with lack of power and lack of ability to go near to them, to call them there and say, come, let, let's walk together in this. Folks, our whole life should be consumed with disciple making. Winning people under Jesus, growing people in Jesus. That's what the disciple does, Amen exhorting, calling near, building up to continue in the faith, knowing that through much tribulation we shall enter the kingdom of God. Now think about this for a moment. How could they live this way? What was it about them that was different than about you and me? Because if we took you and you took me and we put us alongside this, would we mirror this? Help me now. Would we mirror this? You all know the book of Acts is what our standard is of coming back to a revival. Revival is not something that we just make up in our mind what we think it ought to be. It's coming back to a standard. This is the only standard we have, amen? So we've got to know the standard. If we don't know the standard and we just say and we're looking for revival or we're looking at how to live in life, and if we're just measuring it among ourselves, we're, we're foolish and not wise because we, we don't see many. We don't have many things to measure by. And if it is measurable, it's normally a measure that's going to continue to change. So we've got to get something that's fixed. And the only thing's fixed is this revelation that we have of the Word of God. And the book of Acts is God's working through His people in a significant and mighty way. And it's what we want to get back to.
And this is the way these men and women lived. But why do they live that way? I've already mentioned it. Write this down. If you're taking notes, you can write this. They had a devotion that had no limits. I think this is fundamental for my life. That as I devote myself to the Lord, I don't devote my, I cannot devote myself to him and put limitations on what God can do with me. When I present my body unto the Lord as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, I can't come toward him and say, God, I will preach your gospel as long as you put me in churches that won't hurt me or harm me. God, I'll preach your gospel as long as you meet the needs of my family and supply me richly so that I can have all that I want to have. Lord, I'll go to that church as long as that church is friendly to me and they bless me and they, 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 they take care of me and they've got programs for me and my children. I'll go to that church. I'll serve in that community as long as, as, as long as, as long as I can have my comforts and convenience as well. You can't, that's something that I cannot do and believe I'm going to live this way. I can't present myself to the Lord and say, Lord, you, you, you love my children and you love them so much you'll never send them to Zimbabwe. Or you won't send them to the inner city of New Orleans. Lord, I devote my life to you and I devote my children to you, but don't take my children away from me and send them somewhere far off that I won't get to see them or be around them. You see, now think about this, because we, we, we somewhat do that, don't we? we? We devote ourselves to God, but we devote ourselves to Him and we put restrictions on that devotion. And we want, we want to regulate that devotion. And as long as we do this, we will never prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We won't know that course because God's not going to reveal it to us until we lay our lives before him with no limitations and no restrictions and says, my life is yours. Do with it as you see fit. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll be whatever you want me to be. You could have my life, my things, my cars, my houses, my homes, my anything and everything. My children are yours. You could do with us whatever you see fit. If we have to go somewhere that we are prone to catch malaria for your glory, God, do whatever you want to do with us. Now, God knows our heart. We don't want to be silly and stupid and ignorant in what we say and do. But he also knows our heart whether we're willing or not. Amen. And I want to tell you in this place tonight, God is not concerned with how comfortable we are. It does not offend nor hurt the feelings of God if we get diseases and die of those diseases being spent for His glory. Do you know how many people that have died for the glory of God doing God's work in a mighty and significant way? They died young lives. They died terrible deaths because they were being used by God to fulfill His mission. I can't wait to meet people like that. I can't wait to spend eternity with people like that who loved Jesus so much that they were willing to devote themselves to Him with no restrictions. Amen? I want to be at that place and I want to tell you to walk with Him 
to follow him, we've got to be there. Turn to Luke chapter 9. Am I preaching to anybody tonight? Luke chapter number 9. You know what we want to do? We often want to pity ourselves. You ever, want, you ever feel sorry for yourself? You ever want somebody else to feel sorry for you? Huh? Help me now. It seems to feel a little better when somebody else feels sorry for you too. You ever want to waller and just old pity for it instead of wallering and lavishing love of Jesus? I, I do. I'm going to be honest with you. I thank for you to be honest with me. Look in verse number 21. What's the setting? Luke chapter 9, 21. The setting is Jesus is fixing to reveal some hard things to his disciples. And this is what he says. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, the Son of Man, God's Son, who learned obedience through suffering, must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Now, let's stop right there. There was a guy by the name of Peter who was a follower of Jesus, stepped in and he said, Lord, God forbid, you don't have to go through this. You've done nothing wrong. Why in the world will you have to suffer for this? They don't realize you love them. You're willing to die for them. And you're willing to do all these things. You don't have to go through this. You're innocent of these things. You pity yourself. And what did he tell Peter? Peter, get behind me. He didn't say Peter, though, did he? What did he say? Satan, get behind me. And what did he tell him? You are mindful of the things... Of man. What is man mindful of? Man's mindful of himself. Making sure number one's all right. You're mindful of the things of man and not the things of God. And notice what he says to his disciples. Scripture says he turns and he looks to his disciples and he says these words. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know what he's telling his disciples? He said, I'm fixing to walk down a road of suffering, of rejection, of ridicule, shame, and even death. You're going to follow me. You're going to have to walk down the same road. And to walk down this road, or anybody else that is determined to walk down this road, don't get in their way. Let him who desires, not just you, but if you've got a little boy and a little girl that God's working on and God's been molding and shaping and growing and you've got a neighbor or a husband or a wife that God's growing and working and, and discipling and He reveals to them that He's going to launch them out somewhere and they know that the potential of life and death is at hand, that they can die going where they're going to bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not get in their way. You know what we would want to do? You sure you, you sure you sure you need to go this way? You sure God's called you to do this? Now, there's nothing wrong with trying to work with somebody and making sure they're not just oddball, just coming out of their flesh doing what they're doing. But, folks, if people are willing to follow Jesus, you and I better not get in their way. 
It doesn't matter who it is. Amen. You let him deny himself. Now, what does that mean? Let him deny himself of salvation. Does it mean that? Let him deny himself of, of the majesty and the glory of being able to walk with Jesus? No. So it has to mean something, and I believe this is what it means. Let him de- deny. The word deny means to denounce. Let him denounce the right to govern his own life. Let him denounce or deny himself. Let him deny or denounce the right to govern his own life. Let him denounce and deny the right to comfort and conveniences. Let him denounce and deny these things and take up his cross. And you know what that cross is? What is that cross? What is it? Did Peter go to the cross with Jesus? He didn't. Remember what Jesus told him? The shepherd shall be struck and the sheep must be what? Scattered. Why? Nobody else was going to the cross with Jesus. Only he could go. Only one sacrifice for sin has ever been made. Amen? And it was made upon a tree called the cross of Calvary. There's only one person who's ever been divinely ordained for the redemption of mankind to take a cross, to bear it, go to the cross and die and shed his blood for mankind. And his name is Jesus. Amen? But you know what? That was Jesus's will from his father that was the will of god upon his son's life was that cross so when he tells us to let him denounce his right to comforts and convenience to govern his own life but to take up his cross and follow me the 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 message is this that he is to denounce his right if he's ever going to walk in god's will for his life The cross that we are to bear, folks, is the will of God for our lives. That is the cross. We have to die to who we are or we will never know it. We will never walk in it. As it is for the will of the Son of God to go to the cross, it is God's will for us to be in whatever particular ministry and life that He has set us aside for. And if we are not willing to, to devote ourselves with no limits, to denounce any rights to comforts and conveniences, denounce any right to govern our own life, we will not know what that cross is for our life, His will. And we must be careful not only in our own life, but to prevent other people from walking down that path. This is serious. As significant and serious as it was that Jesus was to go to the cross, you and I have a will over our life to follow after whatever God's called us to do. And we must deny ourselves and take up that cross and follow him. That's a walking into death, amen? That that I, that I, I put to death my own ways. I, I put it under the under the earth to let it rot. I don't feed my desires and flesh any longer so that it will rot and famish so that I can become what God's called me to become. That's what he's called us to do. See, this is why we miss it often. This is why we don't know it. Because we're not, we're not fulfilling 
the conditions that Jesus set for us to know it. We, we have to meet these conditions or we're not, we won't know. See, I have to begin in this place tonight to devote myself to the Lord with no limits. The second thing is this. I've got to have a diligence that is not affected by rejection. If I'm going to walk with Jesus, I can't let rejection affect me because I'm telling you what, you're going to be rejected. Amen? It's part of the path. I mean, here the apostle Paul looked back in Acts 14. Uh, here they are preaching the gospel and they're being rejected to the point that they're, they're stoned, Brother Derek, and left for dead. People are going to believe them where they go, but the majority are going to reject them where they go. But it didn't stop them, did it? They kept going back. Why? Because it was the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to step out and follow after the Lord, to go where He sends you, no matter if you reject it or not. Now, not that you're looking for rejection, because I come here this week and this night expecting God to stir in your heart and move you toward His ways. And I know some of the things I'm saying are a conflict of convictions toward you. There is something going on with inside you that is a, a raging war that is happening over the truth. When you're confronted with the truth, it deals with you, and you've got to deal with it. But I still believe in the expectation that God's going to speak and going to deliver. I don't go places looking for, for rejection. I go places looking for Jesus to show up. Amen? But I understand rejection will be there. But I'm not going to let rejection affect my diligence to do what I know to be what is right. Whether you believe me or not, I'm going to keep preaching. And keep teaching what God's given me. Amen? And you need to be the same way. This is the way these men and women were. They laid down their life. And they interceded. And they prayed. And they gave themselves over with no limits. And no matter if they was rejected or not. They kept doing what God called them to do. It's being diligent. And it's not enough just to desire it. You have to be diligent. Amen? You know why? Because the scripture says that the soul of the, of the slothful, lazy man desires, and he has nothing. But the, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. You've got to act on what you know, amen? And if you know the truth, and the truth is setting us free, I've got to act on the truth, and the truth is, I'm going to be rejected, but I can't let that rejection affect me to the point that I get moved off course. Because I know the will of God for my life. I know the race that he's setting before me. And I'm going to run it with diligence and endurance for his glory. Number three. Not, not only do we see a devotion with no limits, a diligence not affected by rejection, but a duty, a duty that is not driven by praise. Listen to me. You know what most of us want? A pat on the back, don't we? We want people to praise us. And to honor us. And if they don't give us affirmation of praise and honor, we have a wounded spirit. 
Nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. Nobody likes me. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I go to the measure that I'm going? They, do they realize what I'm sacrificing? What I'm giving, what I'm doing to help them and be with them and to protect them and nobody cares about it. They're not praising me and patting me on the back. We'll never live this life if what I do in life is driven by praise. We don't need praises from men, amen? Now, now let me say this. We are called by God to encourage one another, aren't we? We are called by God to lift up one another. And we are called by God to give affirmation and reinforce one another. But if it don't come, it's not going to stop me. Amen? I'm going to keep on pressing on, doing what God's called me to do. And I'm not going to do it out of this out of this just duty for them. I'm doing it out of loyalty unto Jesus. And as a result thereof, you let your praises come from Him and not from me. We're not going to be here walking down this path, folks, unless we recognize that I don't need men and women to praise me. But I want to be the biggest supporter of those that are being spent for the glory of God. Amen? But I don't need people to praise me. Now that cuts against the flesh, don't it? Help us, Jesus. Fourth thing, and we're going to close. A delight. A delight that is not fed by convenience. I've mentioned this already, but I'm going to mention it in a different light. You see, I've got to have a devotion with no limits, a diligence that is not affected by rejection. I need to have, what did I say? A duty what? Not driven by praise and a delight that is not fed by convenience. What does that mean? It means this, that I'm not going to delight myself in the Lord as long as things are going my way. You ever been around somebody that just don't have a joyful countenance about them? They're not happy people. They're not joyful people. They're not pl- they don't have any peace or joy in their life their sense of anger and bitterness about them they're not delightful for where they are in life how many of you want to follow and walk with somebody like that life is going to be difficult as we live in this world somebody ever ask you how's life treating them tell you terrible because that's how life treats but jesus treats you good amen? amen as you walk in this life you're going to face some hard things much tribulation is going to come your way But don't delight yourself in the Lord based on what you have and don't have. Just let the Lord be what your delight is. And you won't have to worry about feeding your delight with convenient and comfortable things. You just delight in the Lord no matter what comes. When death comes your way, you're going to delight in the Lord. When life is granted around you, you're going to delight in the Lord. When victory's all over your life, you're going to delight in the Lord. But when you're down in the valley and things are sour, delight yourself in the Lord. When people are getting saved, delight in the Lord. When nobody's moving or responding, delight yourself in the Lord. Amen? Amen. 
When you're being persecuted and stoned and left for dead, delight in the Lord. But when they are affirming you and lifting you up, delight yourself in the Lord because you're not going to let your delight be, be fed by how convenient things are in your life. You're willing to go whatever you have to go through and you're going to find delight in Jesus. Why? Because he's the satisfaction of your heart. He's what you treasure in life. And folks, I really believe these men and women that we find living in such way, they had, they had to live this way or they would not have been able to do what they've done for the glory of God. And neither will you or me. So I'm asking you tonight, let's just start with the simplicity of devoting ourselves to the Lord wholeheartedly, acceptable in Jesus' name, who gave his life for your life who shed his blood to purchase your life so that you would be able to say along with all of us in here tonight that our lives are not our own we have been bought at a price and as jesus taught his disciples in luke chapter 17 when when he told them they needed to forgive those that sinned against them even if they came to him seven times a Times seven in a day. And his disciples said this. Well, God, you got to increase our faith to do this. we got a faith issue here. you got to help us on this. We ain't going to be able to do this. And Jesus said, it's not a matter of faith. If you had just, just a tiny bit of faith as a seed of a, of a mustard seed, you can tell that, that old mulberry bush out there to be plucked up and go plant in the sea. He said, it's not a matter of, of, of faith. It's a matter of loyal obedience. He says, how many of you, if you had a servant who worked in the field all day long and he come in and when he come in because he'd been working in the field all day long, he's wore out, he's tired. How many of you would tell him to go ahead and sit down and make sure he ate before he served you? He said, God forbid that never happened. He said that servant would serve you. And when he got done serving you, then he'll be able to eat. And you do likewise when you have done all that you've been commanded to do. You say that we are unprofitable servants. We've done what our duty is to do. Amen? I don't know if you get that or not. But Jesus is saying it's not a matter of, of you need increasing of faith. You just need to act on what you already know. Just obey me. And when you obey me, you'll be able to say I'm just an unprofitable servant. I'm thankful for the master who put me in the field. I'm thankful for the master who lets me serve him. I'm thankful for the master who allows me to eat us at, at the table as well. I'm thankful. Matter of fact, my food come from the master. My livelihood is from the master. And I don't want no glory. I want to point all the glory to my master. It's his anyway. Amen. I'm just doing what I've been called to do for the glory of God. That's how we need to live our life pray it helps you tonight i pray that god will help you and i pray you would mull over these things as brother jimmy has said you won't let them rest we praying god ain't gonna let them rest in your life respond to jesus tonight in faith give your life wholeheartedly over to him and let him lead you invitation uh, let the spirit of god lead the altar will be open you make an altar where you are but just respond in faith to the lord this is the standard that we have. Amen. Give it all to Jesus. He gave it all for you. Would you stand with me? Father, we bless you tonight. Thank you.
Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for setting us apart. Thank you for being so gentle with us. And I believe that tonight you are being forbearing with us. You are being long-suffering. And God, you are being gentle. You are still wooing people. You're still calling us to deny ourselves and to take up that cross. Reveal your will to us, O God, on the condition that we denounce our rights to govern our life. Show us, O God. We need to know it. Begin in this place with me and let it spread to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.